Welcome to the Skin Depth Podcast, where we deliver the latest in dermatology research directly to you. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Skin Depth Podcast. This is Caden Carver back with you for another episode here today. We've got an action-packed episode for you today. We're going to discuss the risk of suicide or psychiatric conditions with isotretinoin use, the use of self-applied 10.3% Berdazimer gel for molluscum contagiosum, atopic dermatitis associated with metabolic abnormalities at an early age, a new method for preserving the structure of hair follicular grafts, and the use of ducravacitinib for plaque psoriasis. We will also feature the work of a fellow student researcher investigating the representation of dermatomyositis in darker skin tones in dermatology education. If you stick around for the whole episode, we're going to test your knowledge as we always do with the New England Journal of Medicine question of the week and the dermoscopy question of the week. Without further ado, let's jump right into it. The first article for today, entitled Risk of Suicide and Psychiatric Disorders Among Isotretinoin Users, a Meta-Analysis, was published in JAMA Dermatology January 1st of 2024 by Tan et al. As you know, it has been previously reported that isotretinoin may be associated with suicide and other psychiatric disorders. Researchers of the current study conducted a meta-analysis of 25 studies encompassing 1,625,891 patients with the goal of determining absolute and relative risk for suicide and psychiatric conditions associated with isotretinoin use. Following the analysis, researchers reported that the one-year absolute risk for completed suicide, suicide attempt, suicidal ideation, and self-harm among isotretinoin users were each less than 0.5%, with 95% confidence interval, 2.45 to 5.93, and I-squared of 77%. The one-year absolute risk of depression among isotretinoin users was 3.83%, with a 95% confidence interval of 2.45 to 5.93, and I-squared value of 77%. Isotretinoin was not associated with an increased risk of any psychiatric disorder with a relative risk of 1.08, 95% confidence interval of 0.99 to 1.19, and I-squared value of 0%. Additionally, isotretinoin users were less likely to attempt suicide two to four years following treatment compared to non-users. At two years, the relative risk for suicide attempt was 0.92 with a 95% confidence interval of 0.84 to 1 and an I-squared value of 0%. At three years, the relative risk of attempted suicide was 0.86 with a 95% confidence interval of 0.77 to 0.95 and I-squared value of 0%. At four years, the relative risk for attempted suicide was 0.85, the confidence interval was 0.72 to 1.0, and the I-squared value was 23%. Major limitations of the study included the imprecision of meta-analyses for various outcomes. Additionally, the majority of studies did not adjust for confounding variables other than age and biologic sex. It was possible that incident psychiatric disorders were missed, 
and all included studies were subject to confounding by indication bias and detection bias of psychiatric conditions. The main takeaway from this article is that there is no epidemiological evidence to indicate an increased risk of suicide or psychiatric conditions in patients using isotretinoin. The second article for today, entitled Berdazomer Gel for Molluscum Contagiosum, an Integrated Analysis of Three Randomized Controlled Trials, was published online ahead of print October 2023 in JAD by Sugarman et al. As background, Berdazomer Gel, a topical antiviral that works by releasing nitric oxide, has been proposed as a self-applied therapy for treating molluscum contagiosum. Researchers in this article conducted an integrated analysis of three randomized controlled trials, notably the B-Simple 1, 2, and 4 trials, with a combined sample size of 1,598 patients. The primary goal was to assess the safety and efficacy of Berdazomer 10.3% gel. The treatment was applied once daily to molluscum contagiosum lesions for 12 weeks, with the primary endpoint being complete clearance of all treatable molluscum contagiosum lesions at week 12. Following the analysis, researchers reported that 30% of patients treated with berdazomer gel experienced complete clearance at 12 weeks, compared to 19.8% of patients treated with vehicle, with an odds ratio for clearance of 1.75, a 95% confidence interval of 1.38 to 2.23, and p-value of less than 0.001. Subgroup analyses of percent change in molluscum contagiosum lesion count from baseline demonstrated favorable efficacy for berdazomer across all groups except for African-American patients and patients with a history of atopic dermatitis. A statistically significant effect favoring berdazomer was observed in complete clearance rates over time starting at week 4. Most common adverse events associated with treatment were application site pain in 18.7% and erythema in 11.7% of patients. All randomized controlled trials included in the analysis enrolled only patients in the United States and longitudinal assessment was limited to 12 weeks, both of which were significant limitations to the study. The main takeaway from the article is that 10.3% berdazomer gel demonstrated favorable efficacy for clearing molluscum contagiosum lesions at 12 weeks compared to vehicle, supporting its potential use as the first self-applied treatment for the condition. Today's third article, entitled Increased Prevalence of Metabolic Syndrome and Non-Alcoholic Fatty Liver Disease in Children with Atopic Dermatitis, a Case Control Study from Northern India, was published in Pediatric Dermatology January 2nd of 2024 by Reddy et al. As background, previous studies have suggested a possible association between atopic dermatitis and metabolic syndrome as well as non-alcoholic fatty liver disease in children. For this study, researchers conducted a case control study of 50 pediatric patients aged 12 to 18 years with atopic dermatitis and 50 age and sex matched healthy controls with the purpose of characterizing the relationship between atopic dermatitis, metabolic syndrome, and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Following the study, researchers reported that patients with atopic dermatitis were more likely to have acanthosis nigricans compared to controls, 
at a prevalence of 6% versus 0%. The atopic dermatitis group was also more likely to have an elevated systolic blood pressure greater than the 90th percentile at 12% versus 0% compared to controls, as well as diastolic blood pressure at 14% versus 0% compared to controls. Atopic dermatitis patients were more likely to have a BMI greater than the 90th percentile at 24% versus 8% compared to controls, and a waist circumference at 28% versus 10% compared to controls. Dyslipidemia, including raised triglyceride levels, were observed more commonly in patients with atopic dermatitis compared to controls at 36% versus 12%. There was also a notable increase in prevalence of metabolic syndrome in kids with atopic dermatitis compared to controls at 24% compared to 2%, although no correlation was noted between severity of atopic dermatitis and metabolic abnormalities. Additionally, a higher grade 1 non-alcoholic fatty liver disease prevalence was found in patients with a moderate to severe atopic dermatitis compared to controls at 6% versus 0%. The main takeaway from this study is that atopic dermatitis is associated with a higher prevalence of elevated blood pressure, central obesity, elevated triglycerides, and metabolic syndrome and increased prevalence of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is associated with moderate to severe atopic dermatitis, emphasizing the importance of metabolic health management for kids with atopic dermatitis. The next article for today, entitled Ducravacitinib in Plaque Psoriasis, Two-Year Safety and Efficacy Results from the Phase 3 POTIC Trials, was published January 16, 2024 in the British Journal of Dermatology by Liebwal et al. As background, ducravacitinib, an oral selective allosteric inhibitor of tyrosine kinase 2, aka TIC2, was safe and effective in patients with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. Researchers in the POTIC long-term extension trial wanted to evaluate the long-term safety and efficacy of ducravacitinib. Study participants were treated with once-daily ducravacitinib for two years with improvement measured by the POSI score. Following the study, the two-year safety profile of ducravacitinib was comparable to the one-year safety profile demonstrated in previous clinical trials, with similar exposure-adjusted incidence rates for adverse effects. The major limitation of this study was that long-term safety and efficacy was only evaluated up to two years. The main takeaway of the study is that ducravacitinib continues to be an effective and well-tolerated medication after two years of consistent administration. Today's innovations article, entitled A Novel Method to Clean Hair Follicular Grafts in Hair Transplantation, was published in JAD online ahead of print in 2024 by Lou et al. As background, current methods for cleaning hair grafts prior to transplantation often damage the graft and influence survival. Additionally, current tools may be expensive and difficult to sterilize. Researchers of this article propose that two square dressing bowls used in tandem would be a clinically and cost-effective method for cleaning hair grafts while also keeping the hair follicle intact. For the study, two disposable square dressing bowls were placed on top of one another, with the top layer containing holes poked through the base at 2 millimeter intervals using a 20 gauge needle. 
a total of 60 holes were created. The follicular graft was then placed in the top layer, with the bottom layer filled with 30 milliliters of sterile ringer's solution. The top layer was then jiggled to clean the graft, preserving the hair follicle structure. The hair follicular graft was then stored at 0 to 4 degrees Celsius in ringer's solution. This study was limited in that it did not provide quantitative data to demonstrate the technique's effectiveness or enhance survival. The main takeaway from the study was that this novel technique may offer a cheap solution for cleaning hair follicular grafts while possibly improving graft survival rate. Now, we are very excited to feature the work of a fellow student researcher, Sophia Babool, a first-year medical student at UT Southwestern in Texas. Her team's article, entitled Racial Disparities in Skin Tone Representation of Dermatomyositis Rashes, a Systematic Review, was published in Rheumatology May of 2022. The review of 93 textbooks and three online databases aimed to explore the skin tone representation of dermatomyositis in medical education materials using skin tones graded by the Massey-Martin Skin Color Scale, or MMSCS. Of 561 analyzed images, 73.1% represented MMSCS 1 through 2, 13.4% represented MMSCS 3 to 4, 11.8% represented MMSCS 5 through 7, and 1.8% represented MMSCS 8 through 10. Online databases contained 59.2% images with MMSCS 5 through 10, while dermatology textbooks contributed 80.6% of MMSCS 5 through 10 images. The main takeaway from the study is that images of lighter skinned patients are overrepresented in educational materials pertaining to dermatomyositis. Diversifying images will enhance clinician proficiency in recognizing dermatomyositis across all skin tones, contributing to more equitable healthcare practices. All right, congratulations on making it this far. Now, if you're up for it, we're going to test your knowledge with the New England Journal of Medicine question of the week. This week, you have a clinical presentation consistent with vesiculopustular waxy lesions on the soles of bilateral feet. What is the most likely diagnosis based on this presentation? Is it 1. Dermatopathia pigmentosa reticularis, 2. Lichen planus, 3. Psoriasis, 4. Rubella, or 5. Keratoderma blenerogicum. So the answer is Keratoderma blenerogicum. This disease is most commonly seen in reactive arthritis, which was formerly known as Rider disease. It is characterized by urethritis, arthritis, ocular findings, and oral ulcers, in addition to psoriasiform skin lesions. Infections such as chlamydia trachomatis and shigellosis are common causes. For this reason, diagnostic testing for sexually transmitted or gastrointestinal pathogens is crucial. Additional findings may include cutaneous manifestations seen in approximately 5% of reactive arthritis patients, soles, extensor surfaces of the legs, penis, Dorsal aspects of the hands, fingernails, nails, and scalp are common locations for cutaneous involvement. 
As seen in this case, the plantar surface lesions usually have a thick yellow scale and are frequently pustular, which is called keratoderma blenerogicum. Balanitis circinata is the name for psoriatic plaques on the penis in reactive arthritis. Alright, congratulations to everyone who got that question right, and if you didn't, no worries, hopefully you can get it right next time on an exam or in a patient room. Now we have the dermoscopy question of the week. A 65-year-old woman presents with a cutaneous lesion on the back of her hand. On dermoscopy, you see a faint, light brown pigmented network or fingerprint structures with regular diffuse pigmentation. What is the most likely underlying cause of this lesion? Is it A, cumulative sun exposure, B, post-inflammatory change, C, estrogen, D, genetic disposition, or E, fungal infection? The answer to this question is A, cumulative sun exposure. The dermoscopic image described in conjunction with the age of the patient, 65 years old, and location on the dorsal hand is most consistent with the solar lentigo. The solar lentigo is a sun-induced macule with solar elastosis, elongated root ridges, and a normal number of melanocytes producing increased melanin. They are commonly seen in sun-exposed areas and in middle-aged to older adults. As described, dermoscopy of a solar lentigo typically exhibits a faint, light brown pigmented network or fingerprint structures with regular diffuse pigmentation. It is important to distinguish benign solar lentigenes from lentigo maligna or lentigo maligna melanoma, the latter of which more often presents with asymmetrical pigmented follicular openings, rhomboidal structures, and a gray pseudonetwork under dermoscopy. If left untreated, solar lentigenes will likely persist indefinitely. Though benign, many patients seek treatment for cosmetic purposes. Treatments for solar lentigenes include topical and physical therapies, including chemical peels, lasers, intense pulse light, and cryotherapy. Great work on that tough question. I know the dermoscopy questions of the week can be challenging if you're not actually seeing the images, but if you want to get a better idea of what the clinical entities described actually look like, I encourage you to look them up online with a quick Google search, and you can find plenty of information that way. Otherwise, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Skin Depth Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode. We hope that through uh, listening to the key findings of these research studies, learning about the innovations in SCOOP, learning about our research from fellow medical students, and then also testing your knowledge with the New England Journal of Medicine and Dermoscopy Questions of the Week has been both challenging and rewarding. And we hope to see you on the next episode of the Skin Depth Podcast. If you're interested in joining the Skin Depth team, we are currently hosting elections for the Skin Depth Executive Board. If you may be interested in a position for the upcoming school year, um, you can email info at skindepthderm.com. You can also visit our website to access the link to the application directly. Additionally, you can find our newsletter and all our previous newsletters at our website as well. Like we said, thanks again for joining us on this episode. We wish you all the best until we meet again.
Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Skin Depth Podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Please send us any questions or comments to info at skindepthderm.com. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.